Well, good morning, or man, it is hard. <laughs> good afternoon, everybody. Uh, Merry Christmas, everyone. I hope everyone's doing well. Uh, if this is your first time here, my name is Eric. I'm lead pastor here. We want to thank you for hanging out with us in this holiday season. There's so many places you could have gone today, but you chose to come here, so I really appreciate you doing that. Um, if you not know me, um, I uh, love Christmas. I love the Christmas season. I love everything that comes with the Christmas season. I love Christmas traditions. I love Christmas movies. Um, I love the lights. I even like Christmas songs. I don't think I actually like Christmas songs. I think I like the memory that Christmas songs bring me. I actually think the songs themselves are not that good. But I think that the Frank Sinatra and those kind of things makes me think of my grandparents when I went over there on Christmas Eve. So um, I love the music for that reason. I also love the traditions that we do here at Impact. Here's some of the traditions we do every year. Um, we decorate everything on Thanksgiving week because we believe it's in the Bible that Christmas doesn't start until after Thanksgiving. So uh, we don't do any decorating until prior. But that's So we do all that. That's always a lot of fun. Um, we always do our angel tree. We just finished that where we sponsor um, local kids in different uh, schools and the food pantry they will help with. And this year we did 186 kids that we bought Christmas presents for um, this year. So that's always a great tradition that we do every year. Um, yeah, I, I'm clap for, like I say that not like you all did that. I didn't adopt 186 kids. You guys adopted 186 kids. So thank you guys for all that. Um, another tradition we do at Christmas is I always have to make Frank play Christmas music. He doesn't ever want to do the song, so I always have, Frank, you got it, it's Christmas, you got to play some. And then um, Christmas Eve, it's a service we've done, uh, this is our fifth one, I believe, at this point, so uh, another great tradition we've done. There's so many things I love about Christmas season, I can go on and on and on, but my number one absolute favorite thing about Christmas are the gifts. That's my number one. And I know some of you are like, well, he's the pastor, so he's about to say how he loves giving gifts to everybody. Nope, that's not it. I love getting gifts, okay? I love it, it's my favorite thing. I loved it when I was a kid. I loved opening presents. I love it as an adult. I love opening presents. My favorite thing to do is open presents. And if you don't think that, then you're lying. Because it's the best part, is opening the presents. And my goal in life as I get older is I don't want to become the dad that's impossible to buy for. That's my goal. My dad is that way. My father-in-law is that way. Like, it's, my dad's not here. Um, I got him a gift. If, if I don't buy my dad a Golf Galaxy gift card, which is so boring to buy that every year, Every Father's Day, Christmas, and birthday, that's, I bought him the same thing for years. So this year, I decided to do something different. He might be watching, so I won't say it. But I bought it knowing he's going to hate it. He's going to return it. I just know he's going to hate it. He's going to hate it. But I uh, selfishly didn't want to buy him a gift card. So I don't want to be that guy. I want to always be able to, like, easy to buy for me, okay? Um, Christmas is all about the gifts. It's about giving the gifts to your loved ones. It's about getting gifts. And even the Christmas story itself is all about gifts. Here's what it says in Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah predicting the birth of the Messiah to come one day. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. You can even use the word gift there, the gift of a son. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Christmas is all about the gift. Christmas is about the gift of Jesus. It's what it really is. God, the creator of the universe, gave us his son. That's what we're celebrating here in this Christmas season, is that since we could not earn our way to God, since we could not earn our way into his presence, that God instead gave us his son, born in a manger, to die the death that we should have died for all mankind. That's what Christmas is. It's a celebration that Christmas is about the gift of Jesus. But when I say that, when I say Christmas is about the gift of Jesus, there's two pushbacks that I have a feeling some of us have with that. Here's the first pushback. First pushback is this. This is corny. 
Okay, what's your next point? Jesus is the reason for the season. Is that your next point? Like, Jesus is the ultimate gift that we get every year. Okay, let me guess. You're going to talk about angels and shepherds, and you're going to talk about the star and the wise men, the story that I've heard over and over and over again. That's what we're going to do, because Jesus is the gift. Give me a break. I can feel your eye rolls as I said that point, that Christmas is about the gift of Jesus. And I completely get that. And I want to let you know something. No one is more opposed to corny, cliche Christianity than I am. I'm telling you. I will not, I don't watch many Christian movies because most of them just aren't very good. About the only thing I watch is The Chosen. Have you ever seen that? It's about the only thing I watch because it's just so good. Besides that, I don't watch most of those movies. I don't listen to that much Christian music because most of it also is not that good. Most of the time, it's just a bunch of bands that aren't very good, that don't have very good lyrics, and they just put Jesus in there to sell it to a Christian market. So I kind of don't really listen to that much either. So if you want to start a group against corny, Christian, corny um, cliche Christianity, I'll be the president of it, okay? I'm with you on that. But here's what I've learned. As a kid, I had this tradition as a kid um, where uh, every morning we'd wake up on Christmas Day, and my parents would make a cupcake and put a candle in there, and we'd sing happy birthday to Jesus. I couldn't wait. It was my, one of my favorite things. As we got older and my parents got busier, that cupcake turned into whatever they found in the fridge, like a Swiss roll, and then that candle turned into a match that they found. That's what it turned into. <laughs> but as we got older, I still liked it, but then I became a teenager. And then my parents still like, all right, it's time to sing happy birthday to Jesus. And I'd be like, mom, dad, come on, do we have to still do this? I was, I was really cool when I was a teenager. I had a backwards hat with the hair in between. I was a cool guy. So I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Mom, this is too, I'm, I'm done with it. I was, it was a cliche. It was corny. I was done with it. And now I'm 37. Guess what I still do? Every morning, Christmas morning, I get my kids up and we get, uh, we get cinnamon rolls out. That's what we eat for breakfast. Put a candle in there and we sing happy birthday to Jesus. We still do it, even though I'm 37 years old. And we'll probably do it for a very long time. And I get it. You've heard the Christmas story a million times. Jesus being a gift is nothing new to you. And maybe you're here simply out of obligation. Maybe you're here because your family's coming and, and you, you got dragged along. You're going to go do something after this. So you're here. I'm just glad you're here. But I get it. You've heard this story many times, whether you've been in church or not, whether you, use, you go to church all the time, you never go to church. And you've heard plenty of podcasts and TED Talks and YouTube videos. You're a lot smarter now than you used to be when you used to go to church all the time. I completely understand it. And we can sit here and debate religion we can debate the religion of Christianity. We can debate what it's become in America. We can do that. There's time for that. But here's what I've learned as I've gotten older. And here's why I'm still here. And here's why I, I do what I do. And here's why I believe what I believe. Because as I've gotten older, there's one thing that I've, I've not been able to get out of my head. That I have an inside me, and I believe all of you have this, inside of us, there is a desire for more. There's a desire for something outside of us. I just have it. It's in me somewhere that there's a desire for something more. I want purpose in life that I can't find in me. And what I believe is that that desire for more, that desire for something outside of me, is direct correlation with the fact that there is something outside of me. Here's how C.S. Lewis says it, famous quote that he, he has. It says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And if there is something outside of us, some kind of higher force or higher, higher being, I want to know it. I want to know whatever that is. And every other belief system that I see, it's all about me. It's about what I have to do to earn God's favor, what I have to do to have enlightenment, what I have to do in order to get there. And by 37 years of life, 
I've learned that when I make it all about me, it doesn't feel good. Something in me wants it to not be about me. It feels good at first, but the more it's about me, the more it hurts everyone else around me, and it hurts me. That I have a, inside me, for some reason, a desire for more and a, and a desire to be selfless, even though I don't want to be selfless at the same time. So to me, it seems like when I read the gospel and this Jesus guy shows up in a, in a barn and lives a selfless life, lives a holy life, gives a message that is so radical at that time, but a message that even if you don't believe in Jesus, you can look at the message of just Jesus, not Christianity, but just Jesus, and say, that's still a good message. I don't believe in him, but that's a good message. To deny yourself at all times and and to lift other people up, that's the message he gave. I can believe in that. And this guy died, came back to life, many people believe, and his followers, the rest of their life, spread this message of self-denial, of making it not about them and everybody else until they were killed for it because they truly believed that this baby who grew up to become an adult died and rose again. So don't let the cliche, corny Christianity that you see take away from the fact that it's a miracle that we're all here talking about this, that this message of this Jewish carpenter from a nowhere town is still relevant thousands of years later. The message should have gone away, but yet, here you are, even if you don't want to be here, here you are hearing about this Jesus guy. So that's pushback number one. Here's the other pushback when we say that Christmas is about the gift of Jesus. Pushback number two, what's the catch? What's the catch? Sometimes, whenever we give gifts or get gifts, sometimes it feels like a catch. Like, you know how every streaming service, every single one will give you a month free at least, if not two months or three months? It's not because they love you. They give you a month or two months or three months free because they hope that either you will just do it and like it so much you'll keep paying them or you'll forget and then all of a sudden you'll accidentally continue to pay them. That's why they do that. There's always a catch, right? And right when I mention the gift of the Christmas story, some of us might think, well, okay, what's the catch? Because what, let me guess, you're going to go, simply take the free gift of Jesus Christ, of Christianity, and once you've done that, you need to attend church every week. You need to attend a small group. You need to join a, a, a serving team. You need to get baptized. You need to start giving us 10% of your money, and we'll give you a list of things that you have to now believe with your politics, your sexuality, how the world began, and a lot more. It's like, what's the catch? The free gift, and then all of a sudden, there's all the other things I have to do. And I get why we think that, but I believe we think that because we get Jesus wrong. Following Jesus isn't the entry fee into a holy club. Following Jesus is the cure at the hospital for your soul. That's what it is. I'm not talking about the gift of Jesus today so that you can become an owner here at Impact or start attending Impact. I would love for you to. If this is your first time here, I would love for you to make this your church home. But if you take and receive the gift of Jesus and you take it to this church across the street, because there's a church right across the street, I will call the pastor for you because I know him, because we're friends. I know what he's doing. Their service starts at five. You can go afterwards if you want to compare or whatever. And I'll let, you, I'll let him know you're coming, okay? Because it's not about this church or any church. It is about the gift of Christmas, the gift of Christ. And we get this wrong because we mistake what the gift really should be. The only way to understand the gift properly is by understanding the person that's giving the gift. So for the rest of this time, I'm going to talk about three things, and I'll do it quickly. Three things what, about what does the gift of Jesus tell us about the giver? What is the fact that Jesus came and was given to us? What does that tell us about the person who gave it? Number one, here's what it tells us. Number one, the giver 
is the initiator. The giver is the initiator. Every year, my, my closest friends and I, we do um, Secret Santa. So we always do um, normally some kind of party, to some kind of Christmas party right after Thanksgiving. And while we're there, we all pick names about a hat. You get a Secret Santa. You know Secret Santa works, right? You get a name and you buy for that person, right? Um, you guys all know that. So when we do that, there are people that you want, friends of mine, that you want them to have your name because they are just good at giving gifts. They, they spend more than the limit. They, they are really good at it. They make sure they get you what you need. Like, it's, it's awesome. We have one friend, um, every year he's Jewish, and one year he, every year he buys whoever he has a Jewish Christmas sweater, or I guess a Hanukkah sweater, right? It wouldn't be a Christmas sweater. He buys them, a, and it's awesome. I, I haven't got one yet, and when I get one, I'm wearing it on Christmas Eve. It's awesome. <laughs> we all want him to pick our name, okay? But then there are the friends that you don't want them to get your name. Because it's not because the gifts they get are bad. Sometimes they are, but it's not, that's not the reason. It's because a lot of times they just never give you the gift. They just don't give it to you. One year, what we do is we pick names, and after Christmas season, we all hang out, and we all give our gifts. And we're there, and one guy doesn't show up to the, to the, the hangout, and he had me, surprise. And all of a sudden, we all give our gifts, and I'm just left there without a gift. I'm like, where's my gift? And I found out what friend it was. So I was like, okay, well, of course, because what you need to do is that friend now needs to show up at your house at some point to give you the gift because that's Secret Santa rules, right? That you need to do that. A year goes by, I didn't get no gift. And we're sitting there and we're all talking about the gifts we got last year and that guy's there and um, I could have chose to be like, you know what? I'm sure he just forgot. I'm sure he didn't mean to. Nope, that's not what I chose. I said, you, my friend, did not give me a gift. I demand I demand a gift with interest, okay? It better be triple the amount because you're not giving me a gift. Why? We use Secret Santa. The rule is I'm going to give you a gift, so you now have to give someone else a gift. I have to get a gift at some point or I'm not doing Secret Santa. That's the whole point of Secret Santa. And most of the time during the Christmas season, we get gifts because of who we are. You're a son or a daughter, so you get a gift, right? Because your parent gives you a gift. You're a parent, so your kids get you a gift. You're a friend, so a friend gets you a gift. You're an employee, so the boss gets you a gift. You're a godchild, so your godparent gets you a gift. You're a secret Santa one, and secret Santa gets you a gift, right? And that's how it, how it works. The gift of Jesus is different. We don't receive the gift because of who we are. We don't receive the gift because of what we deserve. We don't receive the gift because of what we have or have not done. We simply receive the gift because the giver decided to give it to us. That's the only reason. God initiates the gift to simply show us something, that we're loved, that you're loved, and that I'm loved. Now, now, make sure you understand this. You're not loved because you're so lovable. It's not why you're loved, okay? You're great. You're not that lovable. God loves you because God is the embodiment of love. That's what He does. So when He loves sinners and broken and sinful people like us, it shows what true love is. Here's how 1 John 4.10 says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. When God initiates the gift to us, it shows the amazing love that He has for us because we constantly don't love Him back. We constantly move away from Him or work against Him. We constantly question who He is and what He has done. We constantly blame Him for what He doesn't do and forget Him for what He does do. But we know what love actually is because the giver initiated the gift to us, undeserving, imperfect people. That's number one. Number two, the giver intends only to give. 
The giver intends only to give. I've been married for uh, 11 years now, um, and uh, when my wife and I were dating, and I decided I was going to propose, I, I, I did what, what all guys should do, is I decided to get lunch with my um, hopefully soon-to-be father-in-law um, and ask for her hand in marriage. My father-in-law is here. So um, we got lunch, and I called him and said, hey, would you like to get lunch? He's like, yeah, sure. And at that point, he knows what's coming. He knows what's coming. So we go to sit down, and I, and I give my whole speech. I'm in love with your daughter. I would love for her hand in marriage. And um, he says yes. But here's the thing. I had only been dating Erica for a little over four months by the time I got lunch with my future father-in-law. That's not long enough, right? I could have been a serial killer and hid that for four months, right? You can hide stuff. But my, but my future father-in-law said, you know what? Yes, you can have her hand in marriage. But here's the, my only request. My only request is that you wait a year, you be engaged for a year, and then you get married because, you know, you barely know each other. Do you even know her middle name? Like, you don't even know each other. So wait a year, be engaged for a year, and then get married. And here's the problem. Erica had a dream wedding in August. This was November. So I know Erica wants to get married in August. She's a teacher. She wants to do it in the summer. But now my future follow is saying, I'll give you the hand, but you need to wait a year. So what do I do? So what I do is I say, yes, I will wait a year. And, I'll, and then in my head, I'm like, I'll worry about the Erica situation later after she says yes. Because here's what I knew. Um, I needed to con- like trick Erica to marry me before she wised up. So I had to do this as fast as I could. So then I go and I tell Erica, like, hey, we, we get engaged. And then I say, hey, you're, just so you know, your dad asked me to wait a year. And I said I would. And she said, ah, we're not doing that. I was like, okay, <laughs> this is not this will be a bad spot. Um, and, yeah, we had a family meeting. Um, there was some yelling and stuff that happened. I sat quietly because I, I was the man who said I'll wait a year and didn't wait a year. So I sat there quietly. Luckily, he's here, so luckily everything worked out. But it, at the time, at the time, I remember thinking, like, why? It's just, it's just going to be engaged for eight months. Why, why would it be a year? But that was his only kind of stipulation. Please wait a year. Now I have daughters. I have two daughters. Let me tell you something. No boy is marrying my daughter after knowing her for four months. It's never happening. I have a list of stipulations. Before I give my daughter away, I have a list of stipulations. You need to love Jesus. You can't be a Steelers fan. There's a lot of things you have to be before I give my daughter away. That's what happens. But we look at the story of Christmas, and it is God giving his son away with no strings attached to people like you and me who are imperfect, who some of us don't even believe in him, but yet he gave his son to us. He gave his son away. Um, there's a verse that I actually have this verse memorized because don't be too impressed. I'm a pastor, so I kind of do this. So I have verses memorized. So here's the verse I have memorized. It'll be on the screen for, if you've never heard it. It says, for God so loved the world. Have you heard this verse before? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You can even make this verse condense it a little more to simply say this. For God gave for whoever, whoever believes. God gave for whoever. You know who that whoever is? You and me. Doesn't matter what your past is. Doesn't matter what what you struggle with. You are a whoever. You're an anyone. God loves you, and he proved his love by giving up his son for you. I hear this question every once in a while of how does God we believe is one God, but in three parts, the Trinity, God's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How does he give up his son? And, and, and I can't truly 
understand the magnitude of an eternal God who created me, let alone the entire aspect of, of his presence and, his, and the Trinity and how that all works. But here's what I, what I believe. I believe that God wanted to give us a relatable attribute to understand him in our mortal minds. And the description he gave was a father giving up a son. That's the description he gave. Not all of us have great dads. but We all can understand what a great father looks like. And the father, the giver, gave up his son for the chance that you will spend eternity with him. God intends to give, no matter your response. That means that God gave the gift of Jesus, no matter how you choose to respond to him. That means that once the gift is given, it can always be accepted. So even if you haven't received the gift of Jesus, it's still offered to you. No matter what you've done, it's still there for you. Then number three, the giver gives himself. That, that's really what we're celebrating Christmas. Not just that Jesus was born, but Jesus, being the gift, gave himself, gave himself up. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for one's friends. This is what Jesus did. He gave up his life. No one took it from him. He offered it up for you and for me. So today, we aren't just celebrating Christmas, which we are. We're not just celebrating the birth of Jesus. We're celebrating the gift of who he is, of what he did, of his life and his death and his resurrection. See, here's what we believe. We believe that God sent this Messiah. If you read the Old Testament, constantly talk about the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming. That God sent his son, the Messiah, who was going to save the world, not as a king, not as royalty, but as a baby in a manger. This insignificant place, insignificant setting. And the first people he tells about, about this baby being born is the shepherds. Which why? Why would you tell the shepherds? They, they were lowly, they were lower class, there's there nothing special about the shepherds. But yet that's who God chose to tell first, to tell us something about us. Two years later, the wise men show up. The wise men weren't there, like your nativity set says. One is a baby, it was two years old probably. The wise men show up, and they're bringing these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Why gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Well, gold you gave to a king, and Jesus was the king. Frankincense, you, you, you would burn that in the temple when you worshipped. Jesus is worthy of our worship. But myrrh, myrrh is what you use to anoint dead bodies. Jesus, we don't hear much from, about him from Christmas story until he's about 30. We hear one story in between, and that's about it. 30 years old, he, he gets baptized. He goes into the desert, the, the Gospels tell us, to, to be tempted. And he lives life. He does his ministry. He preaches his sermons. He preaches these radical messages that, that everyone else in society, who, the people they looked down on, he lifted them up. The lepers that no one would be around, he hung out with them. The, the tax collectors, he, he went to a party with them. The sinners, he called them to follow him. The, the, the women who were treated like nothing in society, he brought them up to a new level. All the people that the rest of the world said, don't worry about them, he preached to them. And he preached this radical message of loving others, of loving God and loving others, of self-denial, of giving up yourself, of, of being there for the poor and for those that are in need, to a point where the rest of the religious elite the church people of the day, the religious of the day, hated him so much, they said, we have to do something about this guy. We've got to kill him. We've got to take care of him. 
because he is spreading a message that we don't agree with. The religious elite, they were there to say, that's the Messiah. And Jesus did not look like the Messiah they thought. So he said, that's not him. And if he says that he's the Messiah, we're going to kill him for it. He said, well, guess what? I'm the Messiah. You can kill me, but I'm coming back three days later. Eventually, Jesus is arrested, and he's taken in front of a judge on trial. He's found guilty for crimes he did not do. He then is beaten and tortured. They give him the cross, and he has to carry his own cross up to where he's going to die. He takes his cross up there, and there on this cross, the worst possible way to die in the history of, of mankind, the, one of the worst ways that a government would kill somebody, it's on a cross, and there he died. Don't, don't get it confused. Jesus was born to die. That was his mission. That was his goal. And the purity of the message of Christianity is not found in the religion of Christianity. It's found in the life and the message of Jesus. Not the corrupted religion we made, but of Jesus. And Jesus, the gift of God, on the cross, gives himself up for your sins and for mine. For all the things that we've done wrong, he gives himself up. And while he's on the cross, uh, the gospel say that he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Most likely, he repeated this over and over and over. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. And while he's on the cross, he's not alone. There's two other people on a cross, criminals. There's a criminal over here, a criminal over there. The criminal here looks at Jesus and says, aren't you the Messiah? Aren't you the King of Kings? Then get yourself down from here. Save yourself and save me. You said you're the God, right? Starts mocking him. The criminal on this side says, don't you know who you're talking to? This is the one that was sent. This is the Messiah. And to Jesus says, remember me in paradise. And where is Jesus between these two criminals who are completely guilty? In the middle. Right in the middle. Right next to a criminal who mocks him to his face and right next to a criminal who deserves to be up there but asks for grace. Right in the middle. He looks at this criminal and says, you will be with me in paradise. This criminal was guilty just as bad as this one. Wasn't baptized. He didn't truly understand religion, but he was forgiven. He accepted the gift. And Jesus today is still in the middle. Still in the middle. In the middle of your life, in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your questions and your doubts. He is in the middle offering you a gift. Tomorrow, Hopefully, you're going to have a lot of presents from your parents, from your, from your kids. Hopefully, you'll have a lot of presents. And I hope you like your gifts. Normally, in church service, I've heard it a lot where it's like, this is the point where they make you feel bad about the fact you're going to get gifts. But listen, I'm getting gifts, and I'm opening gifts, so I don't care, right? It's part of it. And I hope that you like the gifts you get. I know my dad's not going to, but I hope you do. Well, while you're opening gifts and having fun with your family, I don't want you to feel guilty about the fact that there's a lot of presents that you're going to open and spend a lot of money on it. Like, enjoy your family, enjoy your traditions. I'm going to be. Like, enjoy it. 
But while you're opening gifts, I want you to remember something. That the Christmas season is us celebrating the gift. The gift of Jesus. And you could give someone a gift tomorrow. And what if they took the gift and they said, you know what? Thank you for this gift. I'm not going to open it. I appreciate it. I appreciate the gift, but I'll just leave it there. Like, I, I got everything I need. I'm good. I understand what I, what I believe. I, I got it. So I'm just going to leave the gift there. The person gave it to you, but it's not yours until you open it, until you receive it. And I'm here to tell you today, no matter how cliche it sounds, that the God of the universe loves you enough to give you the gift of his son. No matter who you are, no matter what you believe, no matter, no matter what you've done, no matter what you think about Christianity and the religion of it, no matter what, he gives you a gift. And the way we receive the gift is simply by saying, God, I'm putting my trust in you and repenting. Repenting is not just saying, God, I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong. It's saying, God, I trust that you know what's best, so I'm going to turn away from my sinful life and go toward you. And you will not be perfect. You will not all of a sudden get to a point where I can't, I'm not going to sin anymore. You're going to still struggle. You're still going to have questions. You're still going to have doubts. But the God of the universe, during Christmas time, we celebrate the fact that he gave you a gift with no strings attached that you don't deserve. It's freely given to you but you have to receive it. You have to accept it. It's not going to make you. It's your choice. So as we get ready to, to close and, and pray, if there's anybody here that wants to receive the gift, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come talk to me. I'm simply going to lead you in a prayer. And this prayer does not mean that you now have it all figured out. This prayer does not mean that, that now all of a sudden, okay, now... I, I'm, I'm joining this church and I'm, I'm serving. That's not what it means. It simply means, you know what? If a God of the universe can love a criminal like me, can be in the middle like he was and be in the middle of my life, then I accept the gift. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the gift of your son. Today, I accept the gift. Today, I repent of my sins. Today, I choose to follow you. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me grace and hope. In your son's name, amen. So, if you prayed that prayer whether you prayed it a lot of times or first time, I simply want you to tell someone. It doesn't have to be me, someone you're sitting with. It can be me. It doesn't have to be. Simply let someone know that you received the gift. And as we get ready to close, another tradition we're going to do is um, you guys should all have candles. We're going to take a moment while we sing these last two songs to light our candles. Here's what John 8, 12 says. When, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have eternal life. That we believe that Jesus is the light. So as we light these candles, we're going to see it just go from one to spread all throughout the room. I want you to remember the gift. Remember that Jesus is the light 
of the world that can shine brightly in your lives. Let's stand. Let's sing this song together.